Max just held up a big sign saying, turn microphone on. <laughs> but I already had. <laughs> that was my fault. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, strange, isn't it, this time of year? Happy New Year, by the way, in case I haven't spoken to you beforehand. Uh, lots of illness around, lots of people struggling. It seems to happen early January a great deal, year after year. Uh, I've stayed remarkably healthy until, until yesterday, uh, and somehow or other I just tweaked my back slightly. So if you see me just moving more tenderly than usual, that's the reason. And I know you're going to say at my age I should expect it, but I... Uh, <clears throat> I deny that. Not my age, I just don't think that uh, necessarily you should expect being ill. Not a good thing. When Andy texted me uh, in the middle of the week to ask if, if I could stand in for him this morning, he gave me the option of going with the, uh, the passage which was uh, in the Beatitudes series, which we've already started, or doing my own thing. And I opted for carrying on with the series partly because I have never preached on this in my life before, and I thought it would be a really good discipline to, to do some new legwork, some new sort of understanding and all that sort of stuff. I I've, was on the phone to my brother uh, during the week, and I said, for the first time in my life, I'm preaching on oaths. And he said, what are you preaching on oaths for? <laughs> it takes a while, you know. Uh, I said, oaths. He said, oaths? I said, oaths. Never mind. Let me read it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear by an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. I do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Just wondering whether Paul or Keith would have liked this passage to preach on. <laughs> uh, it, it is interesting. <clears throat> Let me remind you of the series. Um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talking to his disciples, although there were crowds around, uh, very clear at the beginning of Matthew 5, his disciples came to him and he taught them. It wouldn't be just the 12, there had been a wider group of disciples uh, that, that were following him as well. And it's all about how disciples of Jesus Christ should live, from Matthew 5 through to the end of Matthew 7, that's what it's about, how disciples of Jesus Christ should live in the world. And after the famous Beatitudes, all the blessed are, you remember those? <clears throat> He then, and those Beatitudes, of course, turn the values of the world on their head and make, make it clear that the values of the kingdom of God are very different to the values of this world. Jesus then goes on to explain our role as salt and light in the world, <clears throat> that the, the Christian church, Christian people, are to be that influence in the world which reveals the light of God who, who shines in us and is also salt within the world bringing growth, bringing palatability, preserving from rottenness, and all that sort of stuff. He then goes on to, if you, you're probably thinking, I've heard all this before, but my experience tells me not everybody remembers. All right? <clears throat> he then goes on to uh, explain how the bar is raised in the new covenant. 
the standards by which we are expected to live are higher in the new covenant than in the old. Uh, grace and the new covenant never lowers standards, always raises them. He tells us we have to be more righteous than the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were pretty well the most <coughs> righteous in people's minds that you could think of at the time. So, for example, he told us it isn't just that we shouldn't kill anybody, we mustn't hate one another. It isn't just that we shouldn't commit adultery, we're not to lust after another man or another woman. <clears throat> we're told that marriage is God's highest expression for the male-female relationship and is not to be lightly broken. Now, these standards, along with a number of others, it becomes very clear as you, as you read them. This is too high. This is too high. We all know, because we're human beings who are honest with ourselves, aren't we, that we don't always match up to the standards God sets for us. But Jesus covers that as well, because he makes it clear that in him the law has been fulfilled. In, in, in Jesus, all the righteous requirements of the law are met, and he has met the penalty of our sin through the cross, so that if we trust in him, his righteousness becomes ours. That's how God sees us. When God looks at me, when he looks at you, if your trust is in Jesus Christ this morning, he sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ. He sees that you are covered by the blood of Jesus, that his righteousness is your righteousness, if your trust is in Jesus Christ. Now, God's not daft. He, he knows all your weaknesses. He knows all, all the mistakes. He knows all that. He knows about the sin. But he has chosen, once you place your trust in Jesus and genuine penitence and faith, he's chosen to see you in that way. And what that does is it creates a platform, you like a springboard of security from which we can then seek to be the absolute best we can possibly be for God. You see, without that platform and security, you're constantly trying really hard to be good because you're frightened of the consequences if you aren't. You're trying really, really hard to be good to earn enough brownie points for God to say, yeah, you're okay. And we know that doesn't work because God's standards are perfection. So what God has done in the new covenant is to provide that bedrock, that platform, that springboard, whatever image you like, to place us on, which is utterly secure, but he does that in order that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, that we might begin to live out what God has worked in, that we might begin to grow and grow and grow into what God has already placed us into. That's our purpose, to become holy, to become like Jesus, to become Christ-like. It's not so that we should go on sinning. Far from it. And today, of course, we have another example of these standards, uh, another example of the practicalities of living. Now, an oath was and is more than a promise. An oath is a promise based on something deemed to be greater than just our word. Okay? Uh, a swearing of a guarantee in some way. So, as children... Maybe you were one of the children who at one time said, cross my heart and hope to die. I remember even as a child thinking, that's a very strange thing to say, because I didn't hope to die. And to this day, I don't know what it means. But that sort of thing as a child, you know, it, don't just take my word for it. You know, it really is. Really, you find ways of trying to say that this is not just the way I normally am. I really mean it this time. Hmm. 
Or some people might say, I swear in my mother's grave. It's a very thing, strange thing to swear on, isn't it? Really? And yet you could think of lots of ways in which people try to express this. Okay? Yeah, I, I know I haven't always been right. I know I haven't always kept my promises. But this time... In, in the Jewish world of those days, it was even more complicated. Uh, although Jewish tradition was clear in the need for honesty, the pecking order of swearing had developed over the, over the centuries. So, to swear by the name of God, that was top-notch stuff. No excuse for, for breaking that promise. That, you know, if you... Very, very seldom would anybody dare to do that. They wouldn't use his name, of course. Jews didn't, but they would talk about his name and say, I swear by that name. To swear by the name of God was top, but next you could swear by God's throne. That wasn't quite the same as swearing by God because the throne wasn't quite God, so that was the sort of second pecking order of promises. Not the really top promise, but the next one down. Or you could swear by the temple. Again, not quite as serious. And eventually you could come down to swearing by your head. Now, I don't understand what that's about, but you'd have to have lived in those days in a Jewish community to understand what they meant by that. But I swear by my head. Yeah? I, I don't know how far they went down, whether you actually got, the end got to swear by your foot or, or I don't know, or by your bunions or whatever. <laughs> now, some people here see a reason why Christians should not take an oath in a court of law, for example. And I know people get a, quite a conscience about this and, and where oaths are required by a, a state, by a society. Now, I don't see a problem with it, to be honest, because what this is about is what you choose to convince people by. Okay, by your words, by what you choose to swear by, it's saying, although I'm not always true to my word, this time I am. Uh, when a court requires it of you, that's not your instigation. That's their instigation. And if they want to take that more seriously, that's up to them. You're not saying that. You're just doing what they expect. So what's this all about? If we strip all this back, what relevance has it to us? Not many of us are going to spend most of our week thinking of different ways to swear a promise to somebody. You know? I think there's three things I want to pick up here. One is it's about being truthful. No one knows when Jesus said, you have heard it said about oaths. What was the phrase he said? Um, You've heard it said long ago, do not break your oath. Whereas in the other earlier, earlier bits, you could trace this back to the Ten Commandments. You, you can't. You, you don't quite know what Jesus is saying here. But of course, one commandment which is relevant is the Ninth Commandment in Exodus 20, verse 16, which is, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. If we are to live by our yes being yes and our no being no, which is what Jesus asks of us, then we need consistently to tell the truth. Ooh. Difficult, isn't it? Now, let's not get sidetracked by, you know, wife to husband, do you like my new dress? Let's not get sidetracked down that road, okay? All relationships have found a way of expressing opinion without having to give it. Uh, we, we, we all know that, you know, that's a sidetrack issue because within a close relationship, people know what they mean anyway. Yeah? 
Well, I hope so anyway. Uh, my father used to tell a story about uh, a lady who said to the man in the shop, does this hat do me justice? To which he replied, it's not justice you need, lady, it's mercy. Um, now, we know all that kind of stuff, all right? In all relationships, truth is communicated in different ways, but the issue is that we need to be telling the truth. But we're talking here about the deliberate and self-preserving telling of a lie or distortion of truth. And I had to learn very early in my ministry that one thing you cannot do in ministry, you can't do it anywhere really, but in ministry particularly, is say one thing to one person and something else to somebody else. Even though I would still to this day say I wasn't actually telling a lie, I was giving an impression to one person that was different to an impression to somebody else. And I had to learn very quickly, you cannot do that. It is a, a nightmare. It leads to chaos. It leads to problems with relationships. And James's warning about the use of the tongue. I, I'd actually encourage every Christian, at least once a month, to, to, to read James chapter 3. All right? The dangers of the tongue and what the tongue can do and, and what words do in destroying people. God wants that when people speak with us, they can be sure that we will tell the truth. How do you match up? Of course, we also know something else, don't we? We know from John chapter 14 that Jesus describes himself as truth. I am the way. When, when he talked about um, heaven and preparing a room and all that sort of stuff, and Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, for us as Christians, the whole business of telling the truth becomes much more than just, uh, yes, it is black, or yes, it is white, or yes, I was there. Telling the truth becomes, well, yes, this is what the Bible says. What's your opinion about so-and-so? Well, I get my opinion from what the scripture says. Because we believe the scriptures to be the word of God and God speaks truth. And this business of being loyal to God in our words and in our lifestyle is part of the deal here. There are all sorts of contexts in which that becomes difficult. I'm not saying that every conversation has to be incredibly holy. Lord, deliver us, you know. Uh, it's, it's fine to have a good talk about football. Even if you're a Newcastle fan, it's fine to have a good conversation about football at the moment. It's fine to have a good conversation about this or that and so on and so on. But the issue is simply this. Do we have that conversation in a way which is in keeping with what it is to be a Christian? Are our values reflected in our words? Being truthful. That's the first thing that occurs to me from this. The second is being faithful. You think the two are the same, but they're not quite. They're, they're related to each other very strongly. Later in Matthew, Jesus tells this fascinating story in Matthew 21, verse 28. What do you think? Don't you love it when Jesus starts with those words? What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two 
did what his father wanted. The first they answered, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. But John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now, before I proceed here, I want to proceed carefully. Let's remember we are jars of clay. All right? Uh, Paul talks about us having this treasure, this gospel in jars of clay. We are fragile. We are uh, not always what we should be. And if you prefer the imagery, we can sometimes be cracked pots. But this is about the direction of our journey and the direction of our aspirations, of where we're seeking to go with our lives and what we aspire to in life. If we say we will do something, we need to do it. Faithfulness matters in marriages, in families, in friendships, even in an employer-employee situation. And most of all, faithfulness matters in our relationship to God. And the, this whole business of being faithful, being true, being committed needs to be at the very root of what we strive for as a people, that we would be consistent. The disciple of Jesus, when falling short, and we do, when falling short, the disciple of Jesus repents. The disciple of Jesus acknowledges before God, God, God I blew that. I'm sorry. And God forgives, and God places this, I'm going to say, back on that foundation. We never actually lost the foundation. We just feel as if we have. Places back on this foundation of grace and says, right, now let's get it right next time, shall we? <coughs> What's one of the key signs as a Christian that you are victorious in your Christian life? And the answer is a funny answer. The answer is that you're in the battle. The only people who win battle, sorry, the only people who get victorious are the ones who have the battle. And the ones who are defeated, the ones who cease battling. And if you're saying, hey, this is a struggle for me. I've got a struggle in this area of life. I've got a struggle in that area of life. It's, it's tough for me be, to be consistent in my walk with God in this area. And you're battling in that area. Hallelujah, because you're battling. It is to those who enter into the battle in the strength of God that victory eventually comes. The devil wins when we say, I can't, I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. <laughs> I, I am what I am, and nobody can change me now. What a horrible thing to say. Or even better, I can do this now because I'm 66 years old. At my age, you can't change, you know. Utter lie. Total drivel. Every one of us needs to change at every stage of our lives. Constantly being made into the image of Jesus Christ. Constantly being made more like him. Learning from our defeats that we might get up in the grace of God and have victory next time. Keeping going with the battle. Keeping going. Aspiring. Desiring. This is, this is what faithfulness is. Refusing to be cowed. We will not give up. We will not despair. And of course this includes how we, we speak of other people. Constructive criticism of someone is not wrong. Uh, God willing, we need that. If, if you say to somebody, look, when you did that, it wasn't quite right. Hallelujah. But that which is disparaging and destructive should never have any place among us. 
ever. And if I may say, and I'm going off on one now, if I may say that is true at the family meal table as much as it is in church. That is true when you're talking with your close friends as much as it is anywhere else. By all means, if you have a problem with this, that, yeah, you can share it graciously with people, but never in a way which is destructive or disparaging of those you're talking about. That's not Christian. That's not faithfulness. That's indulgence. And it's also remarkably stupid. And of course, what I'm talking about in the end boils down to integrity. There was a germ of an idea beginning to work in my mind at the beginning of the service, and it's sort of still, still where this might not work at all. So if, if this illustration y you can't follow, just pretend it didn't happen, and you'll be fine. <laughs> uh, we were at St. James's Park yesterday for the FA Cup third round tie against Blackburn Rovers. It was a one-all draw, and the football wasn't great. Uh, blah, 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 blah. But there were four guys in front of us, okay? Uh, and they came in, and uh, I guess late 30s, maybe early 40s. <sighs> Very quickly, you realize that one of them was quieter than the others. Tried to be a bit more focused. The guy who ended up over there, though at one stage he was there, just could not settle because he was disturbed by the Blackburn Rovers supporters who were up there. So the football was going on there, and he kept going, <laughs> and at one stage towards the end, he was even, he was even standing up and gesturing. I won't copy the gesture. Uh, you know, and I think, and, and added to which, uh, he, I think it was he, disappeared quite quickly into the game, presumably to go to the loo, and then another guy followed him, and then they came back, and then they went out again with about five minutes before half-time, and they didn't appear again until ten minutes after half-time. And then they went, well, he at least went out again to the toilet. And when you're sitting behind them wanting to watch a football match, this can be just a little bit irritating. Just a little bit. But it got me thinking. One of the things about yesterday's match was this. It was much cheaper to get into than usual. In order to swell the crowd, because the FA Cup's not as popular a competition these days, uh, if you booked in advance, you could get in for £10, or if you're a concession, <laughs> £5. Now, I know to some people that's still a lot of money, but I doubt if it was to those guys. I just thought with them and the two girls who had nothing to do with them, but were sitting to one side, who disappeared at half-time and never returned, I just thought, I think I know what's going on here. They just thought, hey, it's a cheap day out, let's see what it's like. All right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't particularly interested in the football. And to me, as a football fan, that's almost, ah! How can you not be interested, you know? This was a day, oh, well, yeah, let's just go and do something else. Let's, let's go and have another drink, let's go. Now, one of the problems is sometimes within the Christian faith, we imply in the gospel of grace that the way of the cross and the way of discipleship is easy. Ah, oh, just believe in Jesus, you know, and everything's all right. Just believe in Jesus and put your trust in him and that's fine. Now, we know what is meant by that. Salvation is not by works. It's by trusting in what Jesus has done, all right? But it is about a new birth experience of the Holy Spirit as we put our trust in Jesus, which puts our life in a different 
context and commits us to a life of discipleship in order to be grateful to what Jesus has done. The more we make the way cheap, the less people will stay the course. Or people will come through the door and say, oh, this is all right. Oh, I'm bored now. And they'll be off. Find something else that's interesting. But the way of Jesus Christ is the way of life-changing integrity. This is what we're called to, to be the real deal. In a world where many politicians squirm under pressure and blow with the prevailing wind, and as in a society which has become, in many ways, amoral. If you, uh, immoral, yes, but amoral just means there's no concept of morality. And in particular, with a media which has become amoral, where anything which sells or gets more viewers will do, in that kind of world where our, our television stations and our papers will seek to manipulate others rather than enlighten people, what we need is integrity. And if the church hasn't got integrity, what are we here for? If the church also bends with every prevailing wind and says, oh, that's what the world agrees with. Let's get on that bandwagon so people will come through the door. What have we got to offer them? Absolutely nothing. And people see through it in the end and they'll come because it's cozy, because it's nice. They might even stay because they enjoy the tea or have a friend. But in terms of discipleship, in terms of, in terms of knowing what it is to love Jesus and to walk with him and to know him as your friend day by day, totally miss the point. We need to begin to explain, well, to live it ourselves, first of all, but to explain to those who would seek and those who would know Jesus, that, oh, yes, the gospel's free. Salvation's a free gift of God. And we're, we take it to ourselves by faith. But the cost of discipleship is everything. Everything. If anyone would follow me, let them take up their cross daily. Deny themselves first. Take up the cross daily and follow. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul, interestingly enough, in the context of right church structures, that's a time for another sermon altogether, tells us to speak the truth to one another in love. That's part of growing up, you know. When we're younger, we don't always speak to our siblings in love, do we? Or was I the only one with my brother? Though I still maintain I spoke more in love than he did in those days. But there you go. As you grow up in that relationship, you become more aware of how your words or your actions can hurt somebody you love very, very deeply. And you learn how to change your actions and change your words so that the people you care about will be enhanced and built up. And the Christian life is exactly the same. We're called to encourage one another, to bless one another. And, and here is the big battle in all this, as we strive to make sure that our lives match up to our words. Walking the walk, not just talking the talk, whatever cliche you want to use. You see, the more we do this, the more we walk the walk, the more we tell the truth, the more we are faithful, the, the, the more we seek to be people of integrity, then the less relevant oaths and swearing anything becomes. 
if, if when people meet you, they know you have, a, you have integrity and you will speak the truth, what is the point of saying, cross my heart and hope to die? Or I swear on my mother's grave. What's the point? If people really know you're the real deal. And this is what Jesus is getting at here. To become people whose yes is yes and no is no. Who are consistent and people know we're consistent and can depend on us. Oh yeah, not perfectly. We've been through that, haven't we? I hope. We're still jars of clay. We'll still get it wrong. But people who will recognize that and say, God, I'm sorry. And even equally as importantly to the person, I am sorry. I got it wrong that time. You see, what we need more than anything else in our society today is good people. You ask the average Christian if you catch them off the guard, do you want to be holy? And they might come up with a good answer, but inside they're sort of saying, uh, no, I'd rather be normal. God doesn't give us the option. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're not called to normality. We're called to discipleship. We're called to be like him. And if that sometimes puts us in a position where we're the odd ones out, and we're the ones that people ridicule and think are balmy, so be it. At other times, it'll put us at the forefront of a battle where people who don't even know the Lord need rescuing. And we are the ones they look to to do that. I think I may have mentioned before when my father was 18 years old in, in the army during the war, uh, he was in his first barracks, he was in this uh, building, I can't remember how many men he said, I think he said about 20 men all had their bunks, you know, and so on. And uh, been there for a while, and uh, there's one guy, he said, who was a real, you know, he was in his 30s, my dad was only 18, hard, so you didn't want to cross him. And uh, my dad was in the building, and this guy came in one day and said, Woodward, outside now. And they all went, oh, and he was going, oh, and he walked out. Went for a walk, and he said, right, he said, you tell anybody this, and I'll kill you. And he said, I've just had a letter from my wife, and she's leaving me. And you're the only person I can think of I can talk to. Hmm? So let me ask you, in a similar situation, would people think that of you? Would people believe you cared? Would people believe you could be discreet? Would people believe that you wouldn't necessarily have answers, but you'd be with them as they tried to find them? We need good people. Flawed, but grace gives us the base on which to strive in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit, according to the Bible, continually fills those who continually ask him. That's what Luke 11 is all about. The Holy Spirit continually fills those who continually ask him. And it's the ongoing work of the Spirit, one of the ongoing works of the Spirit in our lives, to make us authentic. The secret of walking with God is guarding the now moment with God. If people say to you, you know, how can, I, how can I plan a life ahead of walking with God and have victory day by day by day? The answer is by doing it now. All the great plans, that's fine. But it's each now moment God seeks to make us authentic.
So before I finish, where are you in this? In this battle for integrity, where are you? In a moment, I'm going to pray and just give a, a moment or two of quietness because uh, it may be that we need to give a bit of space just to say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I have not been what I should have been. It's called repentance. And give ourselves back to him. And even if there's nothing specific you can think of in those terms, in the quietness, it would be a good idea to say, say Lord, I, I'm not the finished article yet. And I do so, so want to honor you in how I live. So before I pray, let's seek in 2019 to be an authentic people of integrity. And let's seek to be a church of integrity in 2019. Let's be quiet and then I'll pray. Sometimes we feel battered and bruised by life, sometimes by the foolishness of our own choices. But I pray that we would have the wisdom to hear your words, which, doesn't, which never write us off. Your words of faithfulness, your words of truth, your words of integrity. You are the faithful one. You are the one who would never leave us or forsake us the one who will see us through. And we would turn to you afresh and ask, Lord, that you would help us continue in the battle, in the power of your spirit, to be the people you've called us to be. That li other lives, lives of those we just, maybe even just pass occasionally, would be touched by you through the consistency of what you're making us. In Jesus' name, amen.